0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, August 15th, 2018 edition of our little weather get together. This is show number 244. And tonight we have with us Russ Shoemaker. He is the associate professor at Colorado State University and also the climatologist for the state of Colorado. Uh, So we're happy to have Russ on with us tonight. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, severe weather. Uh, We're going to be talking about the ratios and MCS MCV systems and kind of how we can classify uh, what uh, each of those uh, definitions are. I know uh, the, uh, the national media likes to, to use the duratio word a little bit maybe out of context. So tonight, hopefully we can clarify the meaning of that and uh, kind of let you know what a uh, duratio is and what these others are. Um, as uh, we uh, continue the show tonight, but we are um, broadcasting live right now on Periscope and Facebook live, also our YouTube page. So we'd love to have some interaction from you. You can do that pretty easily with us. Um, there's a comment feature on both the uh, Periscope and Facebook live and the, in fa- the uh, YouTube page. So if you have any questions throughout the show, please feel free to uh, send them our way. We'd love to answer them. And uh, we'll uh, also towards the end of the show, let you uh uh, learn how you can uh, get in touch with our guest tonight. Russ will let him uh, share his information and maybe how you can follow along with what he is doing uh, in the uh, meteorological world. So uh, that is our live broadcast tonight. And as always, we will uh, tune the o- uh, audio around and we'll let you uh, be able to download the podcast version in the next day or so. So that is the uh, kind of the housekeeping rules. Let's go around quickly to our panel and uh, bring in everyone we'll start over in the uh memphis tennessee area eric i know for us here in the southeast it's uh, kind of been a, a dry period we've not had many storms it's been a little bit less humid but the heat's still sticking around how's things out in the uh, the mid-south
1: very similar scotty uh we've had actually pretty high pops on several days over the last week and nothing really has materialized and so uh we're entering that phase again for the next few days with uh kind of a upper low to our west moving this direction. We're hoping to get some rain out of it, but it has been pretty dry. Um, The heat's back and uh, people are starting to complain again. So I know it must be summer once again here in Memphis. We did have a a, kind of an interesting uh, phenomenon today. Um, The uh, health department here and meteorologist here in Shelby County, where we're located, um, put out a uh, air quality alert for Saharan dust. Uh, we had uh, particulate matter that uh, was basically of code orange level today, um, and the origins of that was uh, Saharan dust that moved around the high-pressure system in the southeast and came up of our area. And uh, the sunrise this morning was a little hazy, a little yellow, and uh, so kind of looked like uh, a little a little bit different than uh, what we usually get here. But um, for those who deal with uh, asthma and those kind of things, it's certainly no laughing matter. So that should move out of here. We'll get some rain. and That'll help clear things out a little bit.
2: Now, Eric, are you guys getting any of the haze from the uh, smoke from Ridgeland Fire across over your area as well?
1: We got real close the last couple of days. There was a, a jet streak that was kind of went down over um, Kentucky southeast into Middle Tennessee. Could see it real well on satellite. It, it missed the Memphis metro area, but yeah, it uh, it was it was pretty close. It would have it would have another you know fifty hundred miles to the southwest, and it would have been right over us too. So, a couple of different interesting phenomena in the mid south the last few days.
0: Very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, we normally talk about the Saharan dust with uh, tropical development, but it's interesting that uh, it's kind of affecting you guys, which is should really be no surprise to us, Eric, because last year's tropical season seemed like everything came through Memphis anyway, so right. we'll bring the dust there too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> when there's no storms, we get the cause for having no storms, and that's the dust.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, let's go over to uh, – let's bring in Christopher Jackson, who is in the Columbia, South Carolina area tonight. Chris, how's – Things going there in the uh, Columbia area.
3: Oh, much the same. Just like what Eric's having over in Memphis. Uh, You know, a couple of days we kind of dried out from uh, the past couple of weeks. It seemed like it rained every day. Uh, Been getting pretty warm again. I think 94 today at at, uh, Metro at the airport. That's what the National Weather Service got. And, uh, you know, a lot of humidity is back. But uh, with the mid-level capping in place, just uh, no storms been able to develop. And looking like it's going to stay that way for at least the next couple of days.
0: I know, I know, Chris. With you being a storm lover, you probably miss the storms. But covered wise, it's it's kind of <laughs> nice to have a break.
3: Oh, absolutely. It's uh, it's just weird to look up and just see bluebird skies in like August. It's like, come on, man, really? <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for that report, Chris. Let's go down to Charleston, South Carolina. We'll bring in Jared Smith. Jared, how's uh things down there in the Charleston area?
4: Well, it's been soggy very soggy and then we got uh, something that masquerades as a break and that it rains every other day versus every day um but there's still you know still like a, just a just a powder keg of moisture um you know, significant flooding uh, yesterday in the Somerville area. It's a place that you don't normally associate with flooding down here. Usually think about downtown. You usually think about, you know, rain at high tide. It's all over. Uh, But that is not the case. Uh, That's not been really a a major issue over the last couple days. Um, But... Uh, you know, so just uh, on and off rain it is August in Charleston. We get those kinds of issues. We've had a little bit of haze here ourselves. We've had some of the uh, smoke from the fires up in Canada and, um, and California route its way down a little dip in the jet stream and uh, has made for some hazy sunrises and uh, some yellow moons down here as well. So um, some pretty fascinating uh, true color imagery uh, on Go 16. I don't have it punched up, but um it's it's out there maybe we'll share that in a tweet of the week later later tonight
0: yeah thank you for that jared and uh i would report for james who is not here tonight um for the north carolina area much of the same of what everyone else has been talking about we have been on the drier side um and like uh, uh eric was talking about and jared you know we have had those hazy conditions with the uh, jet stream set up just right some of that uh, wildfire smoke from canada has made its way here into the carolinas but it looks like going to start to uh, kind of turn the uh, page here and we're going to get a lot more moisture building into the area uh, with an approaching cold front over the weekend and that's going to trigger some thunderstorms and possibly some heavy rain. So uh, we had a little reprieve from the uh, the storms and it looks like we're going to go back into those as we head towards the weekend. So that's kind of a recap of what's going on in North Carolina. I now I want to turn it over to Shay Gibson and uh, Jay, uh, the tropics, it looks like we have one storm that has formed, but it's way, way up into the northern Atlantic.
2: Yes, that's right, Scotty. So we have uh, subtropical storm uh, Ernesto, which uh, formed this morning. It was uh, subtropical, I'm sorry, uh, it was tropical depression number five, uh, and it quickly transitioned to subtropical storm. So uh, this area of the Atlantic is still showing fairly warm sea surface temperatures. You can see here uh, right now, our data in the DataScope is is out on the sea surface temperatures. But this this sort of a uh, uh, regional map here, or, or northern hemisphere, you can see the area of the Atlantic where these warm plumes are coming out across from the Gulf Stream. And so these we've had two storms that have formed over this area uh, briefly. So as soon as this moves over cooler water, we do suspect that it will uh, dissipate uh, rather quickly. And uh, here's its track heading off to Ireland. Maybe they'll get a little something from this storm eventually in time, but. It won't be tropical uh, by any means. Uh, if we go back down here, we have another tropical wave that we are watching. This one has a 10% chance next 48 hours, 20% chance next five days. It, it is in a rather conducive environment right now. There isn't a whole lot of Saharan dust aloft mixing in with this system. And the tropical wave does look rather impressive. In fact, if we look at look at it on, um, on IR satellite loop, we can see it approaching... Sort of heading towards the leeward islands right now and this tropical wave is starting to have more of a vertical trough axis that is looking a little bit more impressive in time so the nhc went ahead and, and circled this. i was just talking about before the show and then i clicked on the nhc update and there it was so the 1020 uh, but if we take a closer look we can see the convection is, is starting to sort of get a little bit organized there's no surface circulation right now and that's what we look for in order to define a tropical depression or any any kind of um, development towards a tropical cyclone. However, there is a lot of upper shear of the Caribbean right now. So it doesn't look like it is favored to last, even if it does form into something. It even says it here um, on the NHC that the upper level winds are expected to become less conducive for any significant development to occur when the system moves over the Eastern Caribbean Sea. So that's kind of it right now for the tropics. Um, you know, we're starting to get into that time of the year where uh, we. Are heading towards the the peak of the season. In fact, I'll go ahead and pull this up. Just a constant reminder that we are not over. uh, You know, we're not past this peak time of September 10th. So between now and then, we could still see some activity. The Intertropical Convergence Zone. This is the time when it starts to lift a little bit further north, and we get into our Cape Verde season. Uh, So we'll have to watch and see what the the cooler sea surface temperatures out there are going to do. Or I should say, cooler than normal. They're not really that cool. Uh, A lot of people are sort of, um, I wouldn't say misled, but they may think that there's this cool body of water out there that nothing's going to develop. And that's not true. The waters are warm. They're just a little bit cooler than normal. Uh, We'll have to continue to watch the intertropical convergence zone for any waves coming across and also near the continental United States for any homegrown systems to develop, especially with, our uh, cold fronts dropping into the Southeast region one after the other and fizzling away. So uh, other than that, we're, we're doing pretty well in the tropics. Nothing uh, to be concerned about right now. So back to you, Scotty.
0: Thank you, Shay. And I believe this came out after our show last week, but Noah kind of gave an update uh, about the tropical season and they kind of are in line with everyone else. Am I correct?
2: Yeah, they dropped their their 60% chance to have below average season. And uh, they're only expecting one major hurricane. So, uh, you know, well, Colorado States, they dropped theirs, NOAA dropped theirs, uh, down, uh, as far as activity goes, but that doesn't mean we won't see one. And it only takes one. That's the big hashtag that you got to remember. It only takes one because if you, that one major hurricane develops and hits the United States, then, Hey, you know, we we've had a, another, uh, upset. Last year was a, was a sore reminder of, of how you should just re- always remain prepared for any kind of hurricane or tropical system that makes landfall. Uh, have your evacuation plan in place, and have your hurricane kit.
0: All right. Thank you for that report, Shea. We always appreciate uh, getting into uh, the tropics and diving into that. Let's uh, bring in our guest now. We have a Mr. Rush Shoemaker on, uh, associate professor at Colorado State University and also the climatologist for the state of Colorado. And maybe a little bit more fun fact, he is a Jeopardy winner. So, uh, Russ, welcome to the show. Uh, we appreciate you joining us tonight
5: thanks for having me Happy to be here
0: thank you so much well uh, since you are a first time guest we always uh, start off with this question with with our first timers is uh kind of give us your backstory maybe uh how how the weather bug bit you uh, what got you interested into it, and kind of your journey from uh, from your uh, start of love of weather to what you're doing today
5: yeah so the you know, I think probably like all of us, there were, were you know, moments in our childhood or whatever that, that you got, you know, got us interested in the weather. And one that always sticks out for me is, uh, uh, so I grew up in, in Minnesota in the twin cities area, and there's a, a pretty famous, uh, tornado video of, uh, this tornado that formed, that was filmed by a news helicopter in 1986 in, uh, the twin cities area there. And you can, People can look it up on YouTube if you're still a still one of the best tornado videos that there is, I think. Um, but that was, you know, in the days when there was only three channels on TV and you watch the the local news every night. And, and that was live, live broadcast. They had the news helicopter, I think, was just out there, you know, doing doing the normal traffic or whatever. And then this tornado develops and uh, and and just you know, fascinating dynamics of the the flow and the tornado a week dissipating and forming again and and going over water for a little while and like sucking up the water so it's a it's a pretty fascinating video still to watch um to this day and so that was one of the that along with you know this these were the early days of the of the weather channel and and we had cable at my house and so we watched the weather you know I watched the weather channel a lot and local on the eights and everything else and and so that kind of you know got me all interested in it and then i went um when i went to college i went to i kind of decided i want to study meteorology i went to valparaiso university in indiana and studied meteorology there and then came here to colorado for for graduate school at colorado state um so i came here and and was a phd here and then um I went to NCAR just down the road in Boulder for a little bit. And then I got my first job at Texas A&M University. So I was there, um, uh, I guess, an honorary Aggie for, for a couple of years for working there. And then a position opened up back here at, at CSU where where I had gone to school and uh, couldn't, couldn't turn down the opportunity to come back to Colorado. And so I've been here on the faculty since 2011, and then took over as the kind of added on the state climatologist role about a year, almost a year ago.
0: So, excuse me, for our followers who um, may not know, and, and then we'll get into our topic tonight. But uh, what does a climatologist do? What is your uh, what is your responsibilities there?
5: Yeah. So it actually depend. It, it varies a bit from state to state. It, the program used to it used to be like a federal program back until the 70s um, where, you know, it was like a sort of like a branch of the weather service, I think, but then they, they farmed it out to the States. And so it's a little different in each state in quite a few States. It's at the, the land grant ag university. And, and so that's how we are here and, and Texas and, and, you know, quite a few of the other States, um, but some States it's a state government position. Um, some states it's more of an extension position um so but but here it's you know it, it, my my predecessor uh was nolan duskin who is not a not a professor but but worked here at csu for for about 40 years and and he's retired now but still is is active in in the community and so a lot of what we do um is is honest you know so my my background is in studying floods and storms and things like that but a lot of what we do in in the office actually is is monitoring drought and and sort of statewide conditions with respect to that and and providing information for the u.s drought monitor um we do we we have a a sort of burgeoning state mesonet that that our office uh, operates. So it, it's a it's mainly a, an agricultural weather network, but we're trying to kind of build it up into more, you know, uh, you know, wider reach so that, that it is, is you know, more of a a in line with what some other states have um, of course we you know we meet with and present to stakeholders all across the state um you know some in the state government and 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 uh you know water groups agriculture groups and so forth so we do a lot of that and then the, the one other sort of unique thing in our office that originated here in Fort Collins is the COCORAS network that probably a lot of people are familiar with the citizen science rain gauge network. You put a rain gauge in your backyard and and take those measurements every day and send them in. And so that was I- invented or founded here after a big flood that we had in Fort Collins seven. And so Nolan, um, who was a state clim- climatologist before me realized we had very little rain data. And, and this was one of those storms where the West side of town had, 10 or 12 inches of rain in the east side of town had like less than an inch and and there was no measurements. And so, um, so he realized, well, people can put these little gauges in their backyard and we can get pretty good measurements. And so it started here in Colorado and is now nationwide and, and, and even internationally a little bit with Canada and the Bahamas. Um, and so um, so it's kind of a fun new thing to be able to to be involved with that network as well and, and see how how valuable that that data can be.
0: That's really cool. And shade, correct me if I'm wrong, but we had Nolan on a few years ago, didn't we? Talking about Kokoras.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we sure did. In fact, yeah. Um, yeah, that was great. I mean, well, we learned we learned a lot from him. That was great. That was a good show.
1: And yeah. And
5: days. as, you know, as a, as a rainfall researcher myself, kind of coming into this, uh, you know, you've, you've been and now getting kind of ingrained in the, in the network here. Um, you know, you probably don't realize that those, those plastic gauges that people are reading every day, or are, are that's, that in many ways is sort of the gold standard of rainfall measurements. Um, we need automated stations too, of course, cause, cause to get the high, you know, the time resolution and, and, and everything else. But, um, you know, having something that someone goes and looks at every day is a- often the, the most accurate measurement.
1: I've got one in my backyard. All right. Every day. Thank Excellent. You. Good job. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, Russ, um, one thing that we wanted to bring you on, and Dr. Philip Klotzbeck actually recommended you for this yeah. topic, so uh, we are very happy to uh, to get his recommendation and reach out to you. Uh, we want to talk about severe weather, and I know uh, that's one thing that you you've studied a lot of, it, and the different severe weather complexes. Uh, you know, occasionally uh, the general public, maybe those who have a little bit of interest in weather, may have heard the terms derecho or MCS or uh, MCV systems. And, and so tonight, that's what we're wanting to kind of uh, talk about is those different complexes. So maybe the next time that that you guys who are listening tonight or watching tonight, maybe you'll have a, a better understanding of, of what uh, us meteorologists are talking about. And, and I guess the first one, the big elephant in the room is a derecho. Uh, it seems like uh, every uh, media outlet, uh, every uh, different weather um per se has a different definition of maybe what a duratio is so uh l- let's start there and, and give us an idea of, of maybe what the correct term of a duratio is and what kind of a weather what kind of weather we expect with it.
5: yeah so so the uh well i'm, I'm gonna bring well I'll see if i can get my uh, screen sharing to work here but i'll bring up this uh um let's see it's gonna work uh Share, There we go. Um, this can you guys see this? Uh, it's a bunch of text. So does it show up? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. So this this is kind of the the interesting backstory of this this uh, this phrase that 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 I wasn't even that aware of. Uh, I knew it was an old term, but um, the the kind of history of it was that this this researcher in Iowa. Um, was was studying these the wind damage that would often happen in Iowa but he realized that that tornadoes were getting a lot of attention at this time in the 1870s and 1880s um but he didn't think they were produced by tornadoes it looked like those coming from from straight line winds and so he, he kind of came up with the, this, this alternate, you know, Spanish term to tornado, which was, had, you know, has Spanish origin. And, and so he, he used the, the term derecho for, for straight ahead um, or direct. And, and so then that kind of entered the meteorological literature in the, in, in 1888. Um, so it's, so it's a very, very old uh, terminology as far as, uh, as far as meteorology goes, but then um, it, 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 it sort of made a its first resurgence back in the in the eight nineteen eighties um, from this paper by by Bob Johns, who was a, a longtime forecaster at the Storm Prediction Center, um, and and basically it's to describe uh, long lasting sort of, uh, you know swaths of wind damage that cover large areas and so they came up with in their analysis came up with this this sort of very you know specific definition that's shown here which has been debated a lot in the meantime and and we can come back to that in a minute but it but it essentially what it tries to describe is is a long you know it's not just a, a, a strong winds from a single thunderstorm it's a a large complex and organized complex that at lasts for many hours and produces severe wind, very very strong wind along its entire entire path. So some of these things that you see in this definition, um, you know, you have, you have to have uh, concentrated severe gusts that you know that that last for over that stretch over 400 kilometers or 250 miles. Um, it has to be non-random so basically kind of a, a swath or a series of swaths um, and there have to also be reports with with significant damage so as sort of the spc definition goes of, of uh, 65 knots or greater or if there's a damage survey then then f1 or ef1 or greater damage and then it it has to kind of persist for this whole time. So this is sort of the the you know sciencey definition of the uh, of of this this phrase, which I think was primarily only used among meteorologists, uh, you know, for the most part until um, a sp- until a couple big events that happened in the in the early two thousands. Um, one was a, a system in Missouri in in two thousand nine um where the, the the sort of became phrased the the super derecho um because it 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 kind of spun even it looked like a like a little one uh produced a broad swath of, of winds not only in the sort of leading edge of the squall line but back in that in that circulation too um, and then probably the most famous one then that you know since there's all kinds of media and lots of people there was the 20 the June 2012 system that went through the it, well started in um, you know up close to Chicago and then went all the way across Indiana Ohio um, and, and then and then even went across the, the Appalachians and into the DC area and you know knocked out power across all of DC in uh, the surrounding areas for a very long time. Um, and so that phrase then kind of really came back into vogue, I think, with that system that, that was a really, really destructive and, and impactful system. And so now it seems like, you know, as you were noting, the, the, the media jumps on that term anytime there's a windstorm or, or a forecast of, 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 you know, a, a squall line or, or things like that. Um, but but that's sort of some of the, some of the background, I guess, of where that, that particular term comes from and, and, you know, I guess how it's been used over time and, and, or, or maybe, maybe misused, uh, over time.
0: That's a a great, um, great backstory and definition. And like you said, you know, and like we pointed out, it seems like every wind event now with storms are are now deratios, but uh, hopefully now that you guys are, are listening and, and following along, there are certain criterias to, to what a duratio is. Uh, Russ, if you can, kind of give us a, a background. What is a duratio setup? Like uh, we just don't see duratios happen every day. We have to have particular uh, ingredients kind of come together for these systems.
5: Yeah. So I think the, the, the one that, that often gets set up in, in systems sort of like the, um, the, the, uh, 2012 derecho and, and many others as you, as you get a big, it's when the, when the big ridge of high pressure kind of builds in over the continent in the summertime. And so usually you got a big high over, you know, over the, the, the South or the Southeast. Um, and then, it, and, and so it's getting really hot and, and humid underneath that high. And then it's just to the kind of on the, on the fringe of that Ridge, just to the North of that Ridge then where the flow the jet stream is and the flow is stronger and so you're pumping all that hot moist air up from the south but it's way too capped under the high to actually get any storms going but once you get into that slightly cooler air to the north um then you've got just just you know huge instability and now you've built up enough shear in that area such that that the uh you know, once the, once the storms get going, they, they often pretty quickly organize into these lines and they move in that, in that fast flow, um, around the ridge. And, and, you know, it's the sort of ring of fire pattern that people sometimes talk about where you get consecutive days of storms forming on the North side of that Ridge and, and sort of rolling all the way around, uh, the, uh, you know, um, uh anticyclonically around the clockwise around the uh the upper level ridge and so that that at least in the kind of in the midwest sort of areas is where those those often uh the kind of scenario where those often show up but they they can occur in other places as well let me see if i've got i think i've got a map here from from a uh uh somewhat recent paper that i'll see that that has a nice nice description of um, the uh, yeah there we go of the uh where these derechos occur so this is by a, a paper by uh Cory and Lance Bozard at University of Albany a couple of years ago where they um you know did a climatology essentially of where these these they they term progressive derechos which are the ones we usually think about where you've got a a you know one one squall line one bow echo that that's producing most of the damage and so you can see the hot spots kind of in this, you know, this region—Illinois, Indiana, Ohio—but um, you know, some down in in the Southern Plains, some reaching down into the Southeast. Every once in a while, there into the Carolinas. But this is kind of often with these systems. That's the the tricky forecast is whether the system that gets going, you know, over over Indiana or Kentucky will actually cross the mountains and and make it over into. Uh, the Carolinas which most of the time doesn't happen but but when it does happen can be can be pretty serious
2: so real quick I wanted to um, actually share my screen and uh, talk right. about bow echoes just a little bit uh, now we, we you talk about the different kinds of signatures on radar so for our viewers that are that are watching they, they hear us talk about hook echoes and bow echoes uh, tell us, we're talking about the ratios right now. So this is predominantly a bow echo. Does this picture sort of correlate what you're talking about in that area?
5: Yep. That's the, that's the classic uh, picture there. The one thing with this is to note that it's, you know, each, each, uh, it's showing the line at different times along here. So it's, you know, it's not one massive uh, beast, but it's kind of that, right. That, that curved shape leading edge of this, you know, of the, of the line there that's moving off to the Southeast is the, Yep. So that's the that is the the, the June twenty twelve is about as about as classic as it gets.
2: Right. Yeah, that one st- stood out the most. So um, I don't have any other questions about the ratios, unless um, anyone else does. I know certain areas have seen them. We 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 get that along undulating fronts sometimes across the Mid Atlantic and in the Southeast region. We don't see them so much down here as we as you
1: do up uh,
2: across the Midwest and parts of the Ohio Valley.
1: Well, we get. Um we get uh, duratios or at least, um, you know, bow echoes if they're if they don't quite meet the definition of duratios, uh down in this part of the country, especially when we get into northwest flow um, coming down into the mid south. And one of the one of the trickiest forecasts here is those overnight uh, MCSs or duratios that come out of the central to southern plains moving southeast and they cross Arkansas and they always tend to get. To this to the Mississippi River about the time of minimum heating, you know sunrise seven o'clock in the morning and You know the models typically have not done a real good job of Is that going to hold together or is it going to fall apart? And we just get some light rain throughout the morning hours, or is it going to be? Something similar to what we called hurricane Elvis several years ago, which was hundred mile an hour winds that caused all kinds of damage You know hundreds of thousands without power here in Memphis. It was a 7 a.m. Arrival um, on a uh, summer morning um, several years ago and you know that's that's the worst case scenario but more often than not um, as they start moving out of the ozark some of the higher terrain in uh, in nor- northwest arkansas as they move this direction uh, around that time of day it, it you know, they start to kind of fall apart, and and we may get a little lightning and thunder, but generally, it's uh, it's just a rain event. So, real, real tricky, uh, forecast problem, and I'm sure that's part of the research that you're that you're doing as well, Russ.
5: Yeah, and that we had uh, so a few years ago, we did a, we were part of a, a field project out in the plains called Pecan Plains Elevated and Convection at Night, and these were the sorts of questions that were one of the one of the goals of the project, and we actually sort of busted our own forecasts a bunch of times with with these big wind or what looked like they were going to be big wind events that we were going to measure in the project and and you know we still had there were still storms and and you know and and sort of isolated severe storms in some cases but yeah we had three or four events where you know spc was going with very high probabilities of severe winds we were totally on board with that forecast and then for reasons that people are, you know, trying to figure out now, it, 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 there were storms but they didn't, you know, they didn't get those those 80 or 100 mile an hour winds down to the ground like some of the systems do but but on these days for whatever reason that didn't happen. So I think it's a it is certainly a, a an active research area and a and a big uh a big challenge because it yeah, I mean I think in many cases the like you're pointing out those early morning situations where it's pretty stable near the surface that can make yeah. a difference between whether the winds are, you know, there's strong winds in the system, but they're, they're only making it down to, to, you know, a, a thousand or 2000 feet above the surface rather than actually making it down to to the ground where they're, where they're going to to uh, produce the impacts. And, and,
1: and maybe we'll, we'll I'm go sorry, ahead. Okay, um, I don't know if we'll maybe we'll get into this more a little bit later on But since we're talking about the topic here um, D how have with with the advent of some of these um, cam models and and you know the rapid refresh type of models um, How and it may be just in a generalized way? Um, are, do they do a fairly decent job with this type of system as far as you know? Where and when they're gonna blow up and and how long they're gonna last before they finally fall apart?
5: uh i mean certainly far better than was the case you know five or ten years i mean sure. the the forecast you get from the cams are, are are sort of world worlds beyond what what you you know the kind of guesses you'd be making with with some of the previous generation of models um but i think it's still a mixed bag in a lot of ways in terms of of how well they do i mean one of the one of the sort of uh you know, uh, golden cases or whatever was that Missouri super derecho of 2009, where these were those the early days of running these high resolution models at, at NCAR. And they produced essentially a perfect forecast of that system about a day in advance. Um, and, and so that, you know, that was like, wow, this, this is really possible to do this and get good forecasts, but there's plenty of other examples where, where things are not so good. And I think that's still sort of where the, the place where we are is there's, there's, you know, some cases where it's unbelievable how good the models do. And then, and then other days where, uh, where the performance is not so great. And, and I'm not sure that we can know, all, you know, that we know all that well yet to predict the, you know, which of those days the models are going to perform well and which ones they're not. Thanks.
0: Uh, Russ, we have a viewer question. This is from Francis Tablino. I hope I pronounced your last name right, Francis. Uh, but she was wanting to know, what, what season are these most common in? What what season do we mostly see duratios?
5: Yeah, in I mean, in that sort of core Midwest region, mostly summertime, June, July, August. Um, you know, southern plains would probably be, or the southeast would, would be a bit, probably a little earlier in the year there but but yeah often that you know that pattern builds in where it's getting pretty pretty it's 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 more of a summertime thing than a springtime thing um you know whereas tornadoes sort of peak in the that that springtime to early summer the derechos are are a bit more common in the in the sort of core summertime months all
0: right we appreciate that let's uh let's kind of turn the gears just a little bit let's talk about mcs and mcb Mm -hmm. systems um tell us a little bit about those and how we can depict those maybe from what these ratios are.
5: Yeah. So, so this, the, the terminology and everything here is often uh, confusing even to us, I think in the, in the field in, you know, that are, that are in the, uh, in in the meteorological field and, you know, even, even more so um, for, for folks uh, outside of the field, I will try to, uh share a graphic here again real quick if that works is one that i have got from uh from one of my classes and and so this is a the this well there's a few a few different um examples here and and you know there's a definition from the from the glossary meteorology but but i think the the takeaway here actually is summarized nicely in this uh, Venn diagram from uh, Markowski and Richardson's uh, Mesoscale textbook, um, where MCS is sort of the, the broad catch-all terminology for for just about any, you know, somewhat organized system of thunderstorms that, that, that you know, so it, it's gotta be an organized system of storm, much bigger than, than sort of an individual you know, updraft and downdraft of a thunderstorm. It's you're getting lots and lots of those together, and it might form into a line shape. It might form into some kind of cluster. Um, it, it, lots of other you know possibilities there around that. But but so MCS mesoscale convective system is kind of the the overarching uh, you know that's the purple circle here that sort of is a is a catch-all for lots of lots and lots and lots of subtypes of uh, other types of systems that people have, have classified, and and some of you know in in this research area, it seems that that we really like to come up with try to come up with names for things or or new acronyms or whatever else. So it so it can often add to the confusion for for people that aren't sort of uh, you know fully entrenched in that um, in that area. But some of those subtypes that are well known, one is is the mesoscale convective complex. Or MCC, and what that is is uh, a, a, a type of MCS that is essentially very large and very circular in in character, especially as you'd look at it from satellite. That's how it was; they were first identified was from the you know some of the first infrared satellite images, and so it's a big. Um, and I've got. Uh, here is an actual example of one here from a from a few years ago so you've got this is an infrared satellite image so it's you know this big circular um thing that underneath it has lots of you know maybe one or more little lines of of storms under there and they're producing this giant anvil Um, and so that's one you know well-known and well-studied subtype those are common uh in part, in 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 the central U.S. for sure, you know, east of the Rockies is one of the the main places where these happen. But also other parts of the world in in Asia, and China, they're quite common. In um in parts of Africa, in South America, so these are these are observed uh, in lots of different places. So that is sort of at the at the very very organized, very you know large uh, scale of 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 MCSs. Then there are um, squall lines, w- which fit into that uh, into that sort of MCS definition as well. Those are, you know, as as the example that that Shea showed there is, you know, a, a line of storms um, that that you'd see on radar or on satellite. Um, and then within that category uh, would be would be a subcategory of those would be bow echoes, where you have the line of storms that takes on this bowing shape. That you see here, um, and and often those are associated with these very strong winds and and derechos. And then, you know, within this, we could, you know, people have sort of come up with lots of additional names and classifications over time for for systems that produce heavy rainfall or systems that are organized or have a certain shape. Um, and, And but 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 that that's kind of the 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 overview is that is that MCS is sort of a very Broad general term for lots of these systems of organized thunderstorms, um, but then uh, then there's all these different subtypes that 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 people have identified and studied. And, and you see, you know, on on any given day in the in the spring or summer, you're probably likely to see one of these MCS or one or or many of these MCSs. Uh, somewhere in in the country, um, so they're they're very very common in the in the summertime, and they produce uh, a large fraction of the rainfall in the in the spring and summer across you know especially ac- across the the central and eastern United States.
0: Russ, I've got one more question, and then I'll open it up to our panelists. Um, we'll put our social scientist hat social science hat on right now. How do you think uh, we, as meteorologists, uh, maybe the uh, the media in general, how can we communicate better the threats, particularly for a derecho, uh, and then the systems that we talked about? How can we how can we communicate those threats in a, in a better way for folks to understand? And maybe, like you were talking about earlier, a lot of people who associate wind damage it automatically has to be a tornado. Uh, how can we communicate that? You know, wind is wind, no matter if it's rotating or a straight line. It, it's going to do damage.
5: Yeah, I think, it, and I think, it, yeah, I think it's a big challenge right now because, for probably for lots of reasons, it seems that people have become a bit desensitized to severe thunderstorm warnings and and perhaps don't take them particularly seriously or 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 you know whether it's the hail or the wind, they you know it it, it doesn't have that same doesn't cause that same reaction in people as the as a tornado warning. I mean, the, the sort of recent example of, you know, the really, really kind of devastating example of this was the, the duck boat incident in Missouri, um, back in July, um, where, you know, there was a severe thunderstorm warning in place, but, but, you know, did they get that warning and, and would, would it do anything about it in, um, in, you know, even if they got it, I think is, uh, these are, these are big questions. And I think that, um, you know, right? A lot of attention goes to tornadoes, and and rightfully so. But but I think there's a lot of uh, challenges around what what we need to do with with severe thunderstorms going forward, because that one severe thunderstorm, you know, k- k- killed a, a very large number of people, and and you know, often more than 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 uh, you know a lot of tornadoes do. And so those are. Uh, I don't I don't have a good answer for that I, I guess, but um, I think I hope it's something that we start thinking more more seriously about is 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 uh, how to how uh, if there's ways we can make the severe thunderstorm warning product or or you know the way we do that um, give that similar attention to to what's being given to tornado uh, improving tornado
2: warnings. Now, I, I have a question about uh, MCVs, mesoscale convective vortex, mm-hmm. and I've seen these travel from like Atlanta, Georgia, where a lot of mesolows develop, and so I, I've always been sort of confused as to what defines a mesolow versus a mesoscale convective vortex, uh, and, and it's really impressive. It looks like a really tightly wound low-pressure system that just spins right along, and I've, I've watched a couple of these go right just downslope all the way to the ocean and then you got to watch for pop, possible tropical development uh, but it's it's really unique because we don't hear MCV very often and when when would we apply that to a system that we see i mean i know here with the nssl says a core of only three, 30 to 60 miles wide but uh, is there other any other criteria that could define it
5: yeah that that's one where we probably don't have a very you know uh, uh, Concrete definition in place, but I mean what you you what you described was certainly certainly a good example of a of an MCV and yeah usually what happens is in these is you have You have a squall on mesoscale convective complexes some big organized uh, storm system that Usually when and usually they form sort of as the system is winding down You know going towards the next morning or whatever and and it leaves behind this circulation that um that right they they can go on for 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 days and they they have a lot of connections in the way that they form with the way that tropical systems uh form obviously they don't have usually don't have that that source of warm water underneath like we we know about over the oceans for tropical systems um but they're they're warm core systems they form sort of you know you showed that that the sort of bubbling stuff out over the uh over the atlantic at at the beginning you know out, out over there and and it and it's not you know and that it takes a few days for those sorts of things to spin up into tropical systems it's not too different over over the continent where you'll get one of these big convective systems it leaves behind one of those circulations and then that circulation can go on the next day to be sort of a focus for for more storms and and, and that can proceed for, for numerous days. There have been instances where one will form over land, like you said, and then move out over the ocean. And then you get a tropical system out over the, the Gulf stream or something like that. So, yeah, so this, the, the definition wise, uh, is, I don't know, it's, it's probably more one of those, you know, you know what, where you, when you see it kind of things, cause they they pop out really nicely on, on satellite imagery in a lot of cases. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was the topic that I did most of my, my uh, dissertation research on was looking at those that, you know, they'll form one day and and then the next day they move over somewhere else. And then, and then storms form there. And that is often a ripe situation for really heavy rainfall and and flash floods and, and kind of that, um, where they tend to seem to occur a lot is, is that kind of corridor between like North Texas across Arkansas, you know, uh, Tennessee, Kentucky kind of area um, where, where those will, if they, if they can hold together and interact with, you know, flow, the moisture coming in off the Gulf of Mexico um, you can get these, you know, these systems that, that are really hard to forecast and they're not very big in area, but then they'll just sit there and, and dump, you know, eight or 10 inches of rain in a, in a few hours.
2: Right. I think Hurricane Arthur 2014 is a good example of um, an MCS over land. I know the NHC circled the area days before we were watching. It was like, wow. I mean, this was a pretty intense, uh, pretty good size MCS that, that just slowly made its way over. Once it got over the Atlantic, dropped south along the Gulf stream and then came back up. Yeah, so, uh, that, that's your, that's your classic homegrown system right there. Really neat to see that area circled over land long you know, day and a half before it made it to the ocean. So I think, uh, Chris has a question for you as well. Yeah, absolutely. How's it going Russ? Uh, question. I spent about five
3: weeks of this spring out on the plains chasing storms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, this spring, obviously there was a, a you know, below normal tornado year for, for the plains, and with, that below normal tornado year to me, it seems like it was a an above normal MCS year. Uh, because you had so much upscale growth with the storm so so quickly. Uh, I'm what do you think might be the cause of that? I mean, is that anything to to you know look at going into next year? Is it just, a, just your thoughts?
5: Yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a <clears throat> good question to be asking. And I'm not sure that 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 I or, or maybe anybody has a, a good <laughs> answer to that at this point, because I think these are the you know these are the sorts of questions people want to know about going, you know, at at sort of this seasonal scale, right? I mean, obviously chasers, we kind of want to wow. know about it there. but but in terms of you know, preparing for an active above above average, below average, whatever, uh, you know, people want to be prepared for that. I don't yeah, it it obviously, I mean, I, I think more more recently here later, it, you know, in the in the middle of the summer, where we have we've had this you know the giant ridge set up over the western u.s where it's been so hot and then we get northwest flow over the over the the central part of the country that's a that's a pretty good setup for you know for organized systems to to grow and develop um but going back into the spring that's when right you expect supercells you don't Definitely. expect uh, or you expect the supercells to maybe grow up into mcs's but but we didn't get that to, to happen very often this year. So it's a, uh, and, yeah, and, it, and, you know, I think there are some people that are starting to think about these more seasonal uh, aspects of the, of the, you know, severe weather or, or, you know, and how it relates to storm structure, but it, I'd say it's not something we, we have much, uh, certainly not much uh, predictive skill in at this point as, as you're probably, uh, you know, well, well acquainted with when, you, know, you you can't know, even a couple weeks in advance when you should, you know, when you should take your, uh, your chasing trip or whatever. Oh, absolutely.
3: And, uh, real quick, before we, uh, move on here, I want to share my screen here and you said something a while ago that was really, uh, that really caught me. And I had to go back through some of my pictures and look, you're talking about, you know, especially when you get the upscale growth into these, you know, multi, you know, multi-cluster storms and stuff like that, where you get the huge anvils. And, uh, this is from, uh, uh if you guys can see my screen here, June 1st and uh, near Sargent, Nebraska. This is at three 3.20 in the afternoon. And you can see it's just a nice little cumulus. And then by 4 o'clock, uh, starting to get some more cumulus. I'm just sitting on the side of the road. Then by 5 o'clock, hey, we got a nice base there. And see, that's what you think of, you know, the prototypical supercell. You know, not that much precipitation, see the base. And then by 5.30, we've got this nice guy. Now you got a rotating base. But then this yeah. all these all these nice vertical you know updrafts going into one massive anvil and when you said that that just that just caught me
5: yeah yeah
3: and then of course this storm uh, continued on it went on to produce an f1 tornado uh, right at dark uh, as it was basically a qlcs at that point right there's the uh, uh yeah
5: yeah
3: uh, it started to come down but yeah okay. that that just caught me
5: then you get those big, uh, nice big shelf clouds too, and you know if you're in, if it happens before dark and you get, see those uh, big lines coming through, just not what, not what you want to see if you're if you're trying to see tornadoes, but that oh. certainly can uh, be be beautiful as well. That's right.
1: All right, Russ. I think we uh, I think we've gone through a bunch of the scientific questions that uh, maybe the panel has. Now we cannot let you go tonight without asking you about your appearances on Jeopardy and uh, how that all turned out. I, I did a little research. I find out found out that you were one of the big winners on Tournament of Champions. Tell us about uh, meeting Alex Trebek and that experience that you had.
5: Yeah. So it was it was super fun. Um, yeah. I first tried out in. Here in, well, in Denver, here in two, I guess it was 2003, um, when they came around doing auditions. And, you know, it was a show I had watched all growing up, and, and I did like Quiz Bowl and stuff in, in high school and college and that kind of thing. So it was always, you know, something I had in the back of my mind. That'd be a cool thing to do, but it wasn't something I thought all that much about until, you know, they came here and, and I went and did the audition. And then they called me out to be on the show. And, and I was very fortunate that I met, um, a, a person here in in colorado who had been on the show uh, uh previously and it's had, had built up basically a, a, a simulator with the buzzers and the kind of real life gameplay and all this kind of thing and so we practiced um me and some friends we went and, and practiced a lot before i went out to tape the show so i felt really you know well prepared going in but you never know what's going to happen when you get there you don't know what you know what the categories are going to be good or bad. And, and, you know, so just, you kind of just go in and you really just want to win one game. Um, and, but, but, you know, for two thirds of the people, that doesn't, that doesn't even happen. And, and so I, yeah, was fortunate enough to win that win the first game, which was a, was a close one. And then, um, then kind of went on a run for a few days and then it was enough to qualify for the tournament of champions. And, um, somehow I went through and, and, and won that thing. And then, um, which I assumed was kind of the end of all of it, but then they did this tournament if just a few years ago, it was the 30th anniversary of the show. They did this tournament called the battle of the decades where they invited people back from all 30 years of the show. And so I got to go back and, and, uh, go back again and kind of meet people that I had, you know, had been that I had seen on TV and stuff, which was super cool. And I, I made it to the, to the semifinals of that. And, and what sort of the, uh, the the uh you know the the weird thing that happened in in that was i got a weather category in one of the games um and and this was one of the clues which you know this was like right after we had been out in the field launching uh launching weather balloons uh and so that was that was pretty fun i when i saw the category come up i was i was uh, terrified because i knew that if i screwed something up in, in a weather category. I'd never live it down, but, uh, fortunately (laughs) they were, they were ones that I, that I could, you know, because often if it's something you know a lot about, then you way overthink that, that thing. But, um, but anyway, it worked. I think I got four out of the five there, so it worked out okay. And, and, uh, so that was, that was a, a fun, uh, 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 yeah, it's just a super fun experience overall. The the people at the show are great, um, and and you know make it a make it a good experience. And yeah, I couldn't ask for, uh, you know, better
2: better opportunity to be able to do something like that. Is that is that something you you prepare for mentally, or do you just remember? Do you just have a knack for remembering a lot of things?
5: I mean, I think you have to have that, but but yeah, I studied quite a lot. You know, the the things that come up on the show a lot presidents and state capitals and, and then stuff that I knew almost nothing about, like Shakespeare and and mythology and stuff, at least to try and get some like basic level of literacy in in some of those categories. So I, yeah, I did a lot of, you know, made a lot of flashcards and, and, and stuff like that. Um, But now in more recent years, there's some people who have, who have, you know, tried kind of, you know, tried to hack the game essentially, where they Cause now the, almost the full record of every clue is on jarchive.org and you can, you can grab, you know, if you're good enough with your data analysis, you can go grab the full data set and people have, you know, tried to crunch the numbers about, you know, where on the board does the daily double show up and which, how much should I bet in this scenario and all these kinds of things. So it, it you know, some people just go on just cause it's going to be fun. And then some people take it super seriously and try to, you know, try to, to, uh, you know, prepare as much as they can for it.
2: Well, are you, would you, are you still, uh, honed in on your skills? Would you take a a Jeopardy question now? I I can take one. I I don't know what I'll do, but. (laughs) (laughs) I just picked something. Um, okay, here we go for 2000. On October 19th, 1936, this psychologist delivered a lecture, the concept of the collective unconscious to the Abernethyn society, At St. Bartholomew's Hospital in London.
5: Yeah. I want to say Freud, but, or who is Freud, but I'm afraid that's not the right answer. Carl Jung. It was Jung. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was either Freud or Jung.
2: (laughs) Just pick something random out there. But I mean, yeah, I tell you what, I love watching Jeopardy! And uh, it's, it's fascinating when people just pop those things off. You're like, wow, that's just, that's impressive.
5: Yeah, and it's pretty cool that it's one of these shows that's been around for you know thirty yeah. some years now, and it's basically it's still the same show that it was when it started, and people still watch it.
0: Good stuff. Well, Russ, we really appreciate you being on with us tonight, and uh, I can say we've never had a Jeopardy champion <laughs> on a show that I know of, so uh, that's a first as well. If our followers uh, and uh, listeners to the podcast. Want to uh, follow your research that you guys are doing out at Colorado State? How can they do that?
5: Um. Well, I don't know. I guess uh, uh you know I don't keep my website as updated as I as I probably could, but I but certainly a lot of the stuff uh, is is there um, on which my sort of research website is is edu. I've got I've got Twitter russ underscore schumacher it's uh again i sort of sometimes i I'm, I'm not as active on it as probably as many people are on twitter but um but you know feel free to follow us certainly uh try to try to post things there every now and then
0: awesome well russ we really appreciate you being on with us tonight and uh, some great information that that we can uh, be able to take back and
5: uh, we appreciate your time great i'm happy happy to be able to do it thanks for having me
0: yeah, you're welcome. No problem. Stick around if you want to. We do a little segment called Tweet of the Week, and uh, this is where the panelists go around, and uh, something they've discovered on Twitter throughout the week, and uh, they like to share it. I know uh, James had his tweet. Uh, Jared, do you have that already dialed up, or do I need to give you a minute?
4: Uh, give me a second. I'm going to dial it.
0: <laughs> okay, does anybody else have a, a tweet to start with?
3: I'll uh, I'll... Can...
0: Go,
4: okay, ahead, go ahead, Chris. Go All
2: right, uh, Let's see here. Let me get a screen share rolling. Uh, yeah, Chris. Uh, we can put that that really cool shelf cloud you had up. Yeah, also a little bit. So. All right. Yeah, we'll do that. Uh, just soon as I get done with this, uh, the NOAA satellites,
3: and they had a tweet about the GLM lightning mapper from GO16 across the Carolinas the other night, just uh, showing how much uh, you know intense lightning there was, especially across. I guess the PD region and up, up coastal regions of South Carolina and the North Carolina across the uh, grand strand. <clears throat> and I noticed that uh, Colorado state also has incorporated the uh, GLM into their uh, R A A M B slider. I, I can't remember the acronym.
2: Sweet. Sierra Ram B. Yeah.
0: <laughs> awesome. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see anybody else yeah reason? i can go if you want all right. go ahead eric
1: all right we referenced earlier the smoke trails that were going into the eastern u.s and so uh the weather service in memphis uh tweeted out how close that got to our area and let me make sure that you guys can see that so this is from uh, nws memphis um, a few days ago and there is a, a kind of a streak a light streak going across the eastern missouri down in the lower ohio river right basically over nashville and then into the smoky mountains and that is uh that's where the jet stream was a couple of days ago um bringing this the smoke down and I, this was actually uh smoke from wildfires in canada not the ones in california but the jet stream had that nice little dip in it uh, and you can see kind of how close it got to the memphis area there so pretty close but it really interesting uh pattern to be able to see that wrapping this time of year to see the jet stream dipping that low around that uh, trough up in the northeast too
0: that's really cool like that's that's awesome right there good stuff uh let's see uh, jared i think you got james yeah there it is
4: yeah yeah
0: so, so james is off tonight he told us about two or three hours ago he was not going to be able to make it and this is why He's uh, watching the Charlotte Knights uh, play baseball tonight in downtown Charlotte, and wow. it's a beautiful night out there, but I think the Knights are getting beat, so uh, it's James. <laughs> it's James's fault. He's jinxed them.
4: Yeah, it's not looking good for the Knights, but it so it goes. But many thanks to James for giving me a very easy control board to work tonight. <laughs> so um, while we're here, I might as well just go. Um, this is uh, I did find this on Twitter, but it is hosted on Instagram, by kyle platt (laughs) and uh well let me just uh let me just start it up here i don't know if you're gonna be able to hear it but uh but oh there's two david (laughs) payne's there's two of them there's two (laughs) of them double the pleasure double the pain
0: and and at uh, one one point during the video david Payne tells the other david Payne,
4: move out of the way (laughs) <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. He, he gets him out of the way. does isn't, you know, David. You gotta get, get get out of my way, man. It's it's kind of like the movie multiplicity, um, it which it is. You know, if you've ever seen that, you know how uh, crazy that movie can be with uh, Michael Keaton uh, decidedly not being Batman. Uh, so that that was a lot of fun.
0: Yes, yes. I, uh, I I laughed so hard that I had a few tears coming to my eyes watching that last night. So,
2: yeah.
0: All right, Shay, I know you've got one pulled up. Go ahead.
2: All right. This came from Bill Walsh. And let's see, trying to see, Rusty Streetman actually provided this video feed. This is Isle of Palms uh, from Monday morning. We had uh, a really nice line of storms just off the coastline, really intense cumul- cumuliform storms. And uh, this, is a, this is a rather, you know, fairly large water spout for just just off the beach at Isle of Palms. We we typically don't get them this close. They're usually on the island tips where the coastal breaks are, where you have the very light winds and, and diversity in the directions. These uh, really line up along the coast. Uh, saw them early on, went ahead and put the warnings out to everybody that uh, to keep an eye on the maritime environment, especially a lot of the uh, nearshore, inshore fishermen. But they, they're always so helpful in getting pictures of these things as well. They're pretty neat uh water spout for for us anyways when we get it this is that time of the year we get them fairly i mean i'd say regularly they're they're not uh, unheard of but ones that big that close to the beach we don't usually see them like that so uh you know edisto maybe a little further south edisto hilton head sometimes they get a little closest close to the beaches there
0: say do you know did that one come ashore or did it steal? no it
2: did not did not come ashore no no uh, we we that rarely ever happens here um and there may be some on some of the barrier islands to the north around Bulls Bay. Uh, some of those, some of those spots that there may see some landfalling water spouts, but we wouldn't know because no one's there. It's kind of like, you know, <laughs> if a tree falls in the woods no one's there to hear it, does it, doesn't, it doesn't really fall?
0: Oh, right, right, All right. Yeah. I saw that video earlier this week and thought that was fascinating. Well, and here's my tweeted week. It also deals with the South Carolina coast and, uh, I want to uh, congratulate our good buddy, Ed Piotrowski. He was nominated and won the uh, Best Weathercaster of the Year for the State of South Carolina from WPDE in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So uh, Ed Piotrowski won the uh, uh, Weathercaster of the Year Award for the State of South Carolina. So congratulations, Ed. And uh, we we, uh, congratulated him on Twitter, and he said, hey, when are you going to have us have me back on the show. So uh, we're going to be working uh, hopefully to get Ed on hopefully in the uh, next couple of months. So uh, big congratulations from all of us here uh, to Ed Piotrowski. He's a good guy. Jay, I know you've been able to interact with him some. He's Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah we talked we
2: talk a good bit. Yeah, we sure do. In fact, uh, Rob Fowler is going to be coming on next month with us as well. Maybe we can have him together. Yeah. yeah we can have, yeah. We can have a fun show with us too.
0: That'd be a great show. Speaking of shows, let's uh, look at our schedule for uh, the next couple of weeks. Next week, uh, we have uh, Mark Willis on from Surfline. Uh, he's going to be talking to us. We're actually going to start to show about fifteen minutes early uh, next week at eight o'clock. We're going to have Candice Jordan on. She is um, um, doing uh, heading up the uh, weatherproof event that myself and Shay and Chris and uh, James will be attending next Saturday afternoon at the Schneel Museum in Gastonia. Uh, come out and, uh, and see us. We'd love to uh, t- to chat with you guys, but uh, Candace is going to be joining us uh, at eight o'clock next week to talk to us about the weatherproof event. And then we'll have Mark jump on afterwards. And then on the uh, 29th, we're going to be talking to Chris Ray and Wesley Shaw with my coast. They uh, kind of document uh, the tides throughout the uh, East coast and the Gulf coast. And they're going to talk to us about their program. And then on September 5th, we're going to be talking about topographical influences with hurricanes with Dr. Jan DeHart, another Colorado State University uh, professor there. So, uh, Russ, we're bringing a lot of Colorado State folks on you and uh, Phil and and Jan. So, yeah, happy happy to have you guys. So, uh, for all of us here at the Carolina Weather Group, please go check out um, the Schneel Museum uh, website uh, find out about Weatherproof. We'd love to see you there. Also, uh, the Mid-Atlantic Chaser Con, taking place October 27th in Richmond, Virginia. You can uh, go on Google and Google that up and look at the um, look at the lineup there. So we'd love to see you up there as well. So uh, for everyone here at the Carolina Weather Group, we hope you have a great rest of the week. And as we close out, I'm going to let Chris Jackson pull up his shelf cloud that he got uh, just a couple of weeks ago. We were kind of talking about <laughs> shelfies and look at this beauty right here. This is a great way to uh, close out the show. Chris, I'll let you – uh,
3: talk to us about it and close us out. Oh, it's was, it was crazy because it, the storm wasn't even severe worn, but uh, you know, I guess it just worked out to where it produced a beautiful shelf cloud right before uh, sunset. I think this is on August 3rd, and this is right over to Columbia Metro Airport. Uh, so we've got a nice clear view to the horizon here, and I uh, was able to get a nice picture of it. One of the best-looking shelf clouds I've ever seen in my life. That is a
2: beauty right there. That reminds me of something you'd see in Clearwater, Florida. <laughs> That's gorgeous right. and how it just lines up. And that's like the best feeling here too and it's hot and humid oh and yeah you, you know can uh, go over, over you at the beach and you, all your gears packed up you don't have any kites out to blow away into the ocean because you know that that powerful offshore wind is getting ready to come in but that temperature drop of 20 degrees that cool air as long as it's not too much lightning you're not or not not any lightning let's say any lightning that's um, right um you know <laughs> it's uh it feels great absolutely
0: and absolutely. but I'm sorry, before we close tonight, we wanted to wish Eric a – it's not really a farewell, is it, Eric? You're going to be joining us um, from show to show, but we're just not going to be able to uh, have you on every night as you kind of get ready for uh, the new fall and the school year with your kiddos. So uh, we want to say we appreciated uh, your commitment this summer, and we look forward to having you on later on down the road.
1: Thanks a bunch. Yeah, it's hard to believe that a uh, year has gone by since I uh, started on the panel, but it has. And uh, uh, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to do so. I interviewed some great guests, learned an awful lot, and that's the best part of it is uh, is learning from uh, everybody that comes on and, and getting to meet fabulous folks like you. So I appreciate that, and I look forward to guesting every once in a while.
0: Yeah, so Eric's not going forever, but uh, he is going to be joining us throughout the, uh, the rest of the year on some uh, periodically uh, on some shows so Eric we wish the best to you and look forward to uh, having you back I think you've already penciled in a few days, haven't you
1: yeah looking forward <laughs> to uh, coming on to talk to Rick Smith here in a few weeks so
0: definitely so. well we appreciate that Eric have a uh, a great weekend and everyone else we hope you have a great weekend and we'll see you back here next Wednesday night for another sh- uh, episode of Carolina Weather Talk to you then